and welcome to Get Informed America, the show that breaks through the mainstream media box to bring you real smart news. Hi, I'm Dave Oakenquist from Informed American, and joining me is the most informed American I know. Rodney, a little twist there on your title, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Rodney Johnson, the editor of InformedAmerican.com. Rodney, good morning, and thank you so much for joining me today. Good morning, Dave. Good to see you. Uh, how about um, Prince of Punctuality? How do you like that one? I, I like that. I am usually on time. Okay. Uh, Ronnie, we had um, you know, another week, another, another bit of craziness. Um, I think leading off the biggest, the biggest uh, blowout news of the week was the U.S. Uh, GDP report, the, the United States in the second quarter. Uh, the, the economy contracted 32.9% on an annualized basis. And uh, I do want to touch on that point uh, just a bit, but um, it's basically the biggest decline ever <laughs> in the history of the United States, at least in terms of how we measure things now. And I know, of course, uh, you know, I, I don't know, apples to apples comparison uh, versus, you know, really times in the past in the 1800s or something like that. But leaving all that aside, um, it was a big, big, big decline in GDP and uh, really a shocking number, isn't it? Uh, it is, but we all expected it, right? I mean, yeah. if you follow that sort of thing, it's one of the things I follow. And so you knew this was coming. Sure. Um, nobody knew exactly what it was going to be, but they knew it was going to be big. And so the estimates were anywhere from 25% to 45%. Um, to your point, uh, we did not measure economic output until the 1930s when FDR was trying to get a handle on what was going on. And he tasked a statistician with going out and figuring out a measurement. And so we have not measured GDP the way you see it today right. until 1947. And so it is the biggest decline since 1947. And um, we did add digital rights to it a few years ago. So Taylor Swift record sales actually count now for something uh, in terms of digital sales. Um, but the point well, is that it yeah. was a big drop. Uh, but, but then what, right? Everybody's been looking for that V-shaped recovery and that it's going to come right back. And that's turning into more of the Nike swoosh recovery, as they're calling it. You know, coming back, but not nearly as strong. And as you and I, you know, were mentioning before we got on this, Europe looks better. You know, the, the, German, the, the American number is annualized. And so you essentially divide it by four to get a rough estimate of what happened in the quarter. And we were down around 9%. Germany was down 10%. But Germany has rebounded more. They've opened up more. And they have fewer coronavirus cases. And so people are saying, hey, wait a second. The U.S. might be lower for longer. And that's the concern. Uh, yeah, we got news out of uh, out of Europe. I was just looking at this uh, this morning. Now, uh, eurozone wide uh, GDP fell twelve point one percent. Which uh, now, okay, so so let's talk about this annualized thirty two. I think I, I don't. You and I looked at look at this for we've looked at this stuff for years, and we're used to just rattling off these numbers. And most people never really pay attention because the numbers are two percent, four percent, even five percent. Right. Uh, those are always on an annualized basis. When you get something this big, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Um, some people were some people thought that GDP lost a third of its value, which is. <laughs> It's right. not true. So I think it's, I don't even know if this annualized number is really helpful uh, because it's, it's, it's not quite multiplied by four, but, but roughly. Yeah. Um, it, it, I think it gives people the wrong impression of what actually occurred here. The, the, the economy, the U.S. economy contracted by, I believe, nine and a half percent was the actual number. Uh, and then compounding annually, whatever, it gives you that 34.7. Uh, now looking at Europe, Europe-wide, minus 12.1%. So Europe, in fact, uh, performed Performed worse in the second quarter than the United States, so we assume you know 
catastrophic just for the United States because only we suck. Uh, no, this is a big problem. And and as as we were kind of talking about, as you or as you were kind of dancing around, let's just get to it. I mean, what do you think is going to happen when you tell businesses that they have to close and people can't work and can't go out and spend their money? What did you think was going to happen, Rodney? <laughs> Well, it, it's exactly what you thought, but the the flip side is, do you let it go and then overwhelm the healthcare system? It's the same metric or the same equation we've been dealing with for months now. Right. And so, is this better? We won't know. There yeah. is no counterfactual. The closest counterfactual we have out there is Sweden, which is a very homogenous society where they did not demand closures, but they recommended ways for people to remain safer by socially distancing, wearing masks, not going out if you're at risk, that sort of thing. They did have a much higher death rate than their neighboring countries, although that was highly concentrated in nursing home facilities and the elderly, so not quite apples to apples there. Um, and they are rebounding very quickly. And so they had just as much of a drop economically because people did pay attention and do what they were told, even though they weren't forced to, uh, but they are coming back quicker. And so that's a small comparison that I don't think is fair given the size and uh, diversity of the U.S. economy. And so we won't know if it was better than the alternative. Um, but to say anybody knows what happens from here is an absolute lie. It just is. Uh, if, you know, we're, we're running over the numbers here. You say the economy dropped by, call it 9%, make it 10 because the numbers are easier. Right. We're roughly $22 trillion economy. So we pulled, call it $2 trillion out of the economy, and yet we've got $3 trillion plus in relief package out there, and we have all this central bank printing. So we have more than compensated for it just in terms of aggregate levels by what the government has done so far. Now, I know it doesn't spread evenly. It doesn't get to all the people who are unemployed, doesn't get to the restaurants that are, out of, are, that are closing down. It, it doesn't go exactly where the money was before, but in big numbers, it's out there. The question is, what happens next, right? Yelp, the review site, says about 24,000 restaurants have closed for the pandemic. Half, just more than half of them, 12,005, 12,900, are closed for good. They're just gone. And so the number of small businesses that are gone is tens and tens of thousands. And those don't just come back. Evictions are going to come back, right? Commercial leases are going to go, you know, not renewed. And so the, the knock-on effects, we can't know yet, but they're going to be big and they're going to last a long time. Yeah. And uh, so that brings us to uh, what what some of the answers might be. And of course, these stimulus packages, that they've been negotiating the, the, the latest round all week, uh, really, and really up against the deadline of uh, today, I believe, Rodney, where the unemployment, the, the federal tack on of unemployment benefits expires today. So they need to Oh, well, they don't need to do anything, but they say they're doing something and they're trying to pass something, uh, that extra $600 or $600 a week for, uh, uh, for unemployment benefits that goes away. Uh, so they've been negotiating that and, and, and as well as, uh, with just some 11th hour negotiating, Rodney, they were looking at, um, stimulus checks, um, per individual, maybe being lowered to a thousand dollars, um, uh, a piece and then extending to 
uh, uh, minor children, also $1,000. So, uh, and then the other thing there is what do you, now the Republicans with this unemployment benefits, they wanted to go to like 200 a week or something. And then it was 400. And then there's this scheme by Senator Romney to sort of let the States do an 80% wage thing. And that sounds really complicated, unlikely to, to work, uh, very quickly. So what do, what do you think of the state of the negotiations and where, where we are here today as, as, uh, those federal unemployment tack on benefits are set to expire? I hate them all. <laughs> um, I, because you look at it, Congress is, is, is uh, an inefficient mess on purpose. This is, this is by design, right? The founding fathers knew that this would be a food fight. Yeah. And they did it on purpose so that things wouldn't happen quickly. And so the house is supposed to be the place where, you know, it's wild and woolly and fights happen, which they do actually are used to anyway. And the Senate is supposed to be the deliberative body, right? And so what we've got now is nothing more than a reelection campaign in both houses of Congress. And that's all they worry about. You saw the Democrats pass a $3.5 trillion relief package in late May. Yeah. Uh, that was supposed to be the next leg. And it included a bunch of really big spending numbers, and they couldn't possibly have known what things were going to look like by the end of July. It wasn't possible. And so this was huge money to throw at lots of things that were, you know, their interests, right? On the other side, the Republicans said, guess what? We're just not going to talk about it till mid-July. It's like, really? You're, you're not going to put the bones together so that we can do something smart when it gets here? No, why should they? Why, why do any work when you, ahead of time? <laughs> well, and then what you get to is there, there isn't much that the two sides agree on, clearly. Um, but the things that you can say, look, these hurt. These are immediate. These are important. These make a difference are the moratorium on evictions of housing backed by federal loans and the bonus checks, the federal unemployment bonus checks, which are right now $600. Yeah. Those two things everybody can look at and go, yep, got it, right? And so the, the Republicans and President Trump floated the idea of passing just those or an extension of those, and the Democrats say, nope, not going to do it. No, no reason to do that. It's like, oh, I know a reason. People aren't getting them. Uh, but the point yeah, they is, wanted to do a, just a one week. Uh, I believe that was proposed by uh, Arizona Senator uh, McSally, and then there's that Romney one for to do that for three months. Yeah, right. and, uh, and so they, why do we always have to do a giant bill every time, Rodney? Well, giant bills help, right? I understand because it's hard to get anything passed, and so when you pass small things, what you've done is put off the hard work of doing the larger things. And so I understand the idea of look, let's not pass a skinny bill and just keep kicking this down the road. Let's do the hard work of getting in the trenches and working this out, but they're not. And so what they've done is basically leave people in the lurch. Now let's, mm -hmm. let's go back to the, the, the amount of the unemployment. When they passed the 600 bucks, it was a big round number meant to get the average worker on average unemployment benefits back up to 100%. But what they found as it was implemented was it actually took the workers who were unemployed up to about 140%. So people were making more being unemployed. Depending on the state though, right? That depends on your location. Uh, yeah, but that, that's an average still. And okay. so, and these numbers are, are easy to verify, right? That we all know that a lot of people are getting more by being unemployed. Yeah. It wasn't the point of the program. The program was to do something fast. The, the, the issue with the program is no, very few states put money toward upgrading software in their unemployment programs. And so there are a number of state unemployment programs 
that run the old computer language of COBOL, which no <laughs> yeah. one has used in 40 years. Yeah, and yeah. So they are having to find people in retirement who know COBOL <laughs> to come back and help them with this. And the idea is, wait a second, let's not, let's not pay people more for being unemployed. Let's actually motivate people to go back to work. Let's pay them 70% or Romney's 80%. Okay. That implies that every state can get their computer system up to speed to know what people's employment benefit was compared to their salary Not happening. And, then, and then send a number onto the feds. That's very hard. We'll very be hard. here and we'll take a whole, it'll take a year. <laughs> well, that's just it. And so one of the proposals was to knock it down from 600 a week to 200 a week, which again right. is another broad stroke. I, I don't know, right? I, I would go with the broad stroke at the moment and I would give the states a deadline, right? Here's a deadline and here's a budget. Here's the money for upgrading your system and do it over the next 90 days and just knock this out. Uh, so I, I don't say I have an answer to that piece, but the no. answer to the other piece is pass the skinny bill, do your job, negotiate, and stop worrying about your reelection. And that, of course, will never, ever, ever, ever happen. No, and then these states are going to be scrambling just to make sure we can count all the ballots on November 3rd, never mind trying to completely uh, overhaul and revamp its uh, unemployment system that's, that's completely overwhelmed, just never going to happen. No, but I, I do want to say, um, and I, I've been hearing these comments for, from Republicans, and I think you, you, to put it more bluntly, I don't, we don't want to pay people not to work. Um, but but, you know, <laughs> taking in those GDP numbers into consideration, uh, you know, and, and that we're not, we don't have the light switch economy and we get information from, say, Yelp, who's talking about all these small businesses that are closed. And we've, and we've seen this. Some are, uh, the number of, uh, of temporary closures uh, is shrinking compared to, or a larger pool are now permanent closures. Yep. If there aren't jobs out there, Rodney, we're not paying people to, to not work if they can't go out and find a job. I'm not saying no one's hiring, but, you know, let's have a little bit of uh, perspective here on this is my point. Right, right. And, and it's <laughs> the whole idea of, well, let's just not pay people is, is, is silly, um, given what we're doing here. This is, this is not the economy of January, where right. it was 3.5% unemployment. If you wanted a job, you could find a job. Wages were rising because there weren't enough workers, that whole thing. This is, we told people they had to close. And we are forcing businesses into an untenable position where they still have their fixed costs, they still have their rent, they still have insurance, they still have their uh, taxes, and yet they are not allowed, literally not allowed, to earn revenue. And so it, it's something where you can certainly say, don't pay them and just let the chips fall where they may, but you <laughs> yeah. won't like where they fall because you're going to end up with an awful lot of people who are unemployed, not paying their bills, not paying their mortgages. The mortgages don't pay the lenders, the lenders being the banks, then take a big hit. The banks don't lend for other things. It, it turns into this big cycle that gets ugly fast. So no question this was the right thing to do. The question is at what level and do you continue it? Yeah, and well, and then you end up with a bunch of angry voters. Um, you know, and it, yeah. maybe maybe you don't care, but uh, that is that is a consequence. Uh, two 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 tiny things I want to mention on this before we uh, before we move on. Uh, looks like one of the things on the chopping block, Rodney, something you wrote about, something you support, is uh, Mitch Mc and something that Mitch McConnell held dear in negotiations. It looks like the White House is willing to give up, uh, which is this liability protection for businesses. 
Uh, in other words, if you open and then either your staff or someone someone catches COVID, uh, liability protection from a lawsuit there, it looks like that could be one of the things off. Uh, and then another thing, uh, the Democrats want to do the salt deduction thing <laughs> for basically blue state, uh, high income blue state people uh, having to kick in more taxes uh, after the tax act. So those are, what do you think of those uh, two, two things there? Uh, well, you know, I don't agree with either one of them. Um, I, I think there should be liability limitations. I, I have said for months that I believe that's going to be the trade-off. They're going to get liability limitations uh, on the conservative side for um, also providing state and local relief um, on the um, you know progressive side, liberal yeah. side. And so I, I, I still think that'll happen. I mean, I understand that the White House is saying maybe they move past that, but there are actually stories in the paper this morning about companies that are now getting sued for this. Oh. And they're getting sued for millions. Now, normally it's hard to tag a business for people getting hurt at work. It's not that they don't sue, it's that the first thing that's done is they're pushed through um, the, the workforce claims, right? And so you have to go through your normal workforce claim, and then you have to prove that your employer was somehow grossly negligent or you know failed a standard of care, which gets to be hard. Um, in this case, it can be pretty easy because the federal government said do one thing, your state said do the other. It doesn't matter which one you choose, the person who's claiming just looks at the other one. Yeah. And so um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes as businesses get tagged with these multi-million dollar lawsuits because people have passed sure. um, and then turn around and say, oh no, no, no liability limitation for businesses. They're going to go, well, we can't, we can't have people showing up to work every day and limit a multi-million dollar lawsuit from everyone. And so we're just going to shut down and put them all out of work and the federal government can pay for it. So I, I think that'll come back to bite them. Well, I certainly hope so, because uh, I agree 100%. And one of those fights is we're seeing, uh, th we're seeing this with uh, schools trying to open potentially in the fall. Uh, and I got a, um, and that's one of the fights too, right? Teachers don't want to get sick. You know, the extent to which children spread uh, spread coronavirus in a classroom, either amongst themselves, to their family, or to teachers and administrators, is 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 an unknown right now. Uh, there's a headline here from New York Times. That I just thought this was funny as we're moving to a bit of a rapid fire segment, Rodney. Teachers are wary of returning to class and online instruction too, leading the question, what, is it, what it is exactly that they, that they want to do. Um, what, what, this issue of school, this issue of potential um, uh, public health issue for teachers, uh, but also at the same time, maybe seeing the writing on the wall. If too many kids learn online, too many parents homeschool, uh, are they seeing an existential threat? To, or is there an existential threat to traditional schooling? I don't know that there's a threat to traditional schooling because um, for many people, you, you can't do homeschooling because you have a job. And so even if you're working at home now, there's no question that working at home while your kids are learning at home is a distraction at best and is a reduction in your work capability yeah. uh, really in general. Um, so not at worst, but in general. And so I, I don't think that's it. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. What I think is going to happen is what everybody on the planet sees at the same time, which is for people that must leave the house for work and their kids are at home, you know, with a babysitter or alone, older kids, right? They're okay being alone. That's not a problem. Safety their learning is less. And you're talking about people who tend to have lower paying jobs. You're talking about people who are lower on the socioeconomic rungs of society. And now you're saying, oh, by the way, your children are going to get less instruction. 
that's a non-starter, right? <laughs> it makes no sense to go there. And uh, I come back to a headline from the Babylon Bee, which is a satirical, you know, online offering. And they said, you know, national teachers uh, introduced their new initiative, Every Child Left Behind. And um, <laughs> you, just, you have to look at that and say, clearly, this is something we have to work on. And again, I don't know the answer because I hear what teachers are saying and there is a worry about it. I mean, I see the worry, uh, but we have to find some middle ground because we can't just say, oh, okay, well, we're just not going to meet and hope that parents pick up the slack and it'll all be okay. And by the way, this all leaves aside the question of money. Why am I paying teachers who aren't showing up? Yeah. Why am I paying the same price for all these things going on out there through my taxes when you're not providing the service? And like, oh, well, they won't have a job. It's like, that's right. That's exactly right. And that puts <laughs> them in the same boat with all the private sector. So uh, we, are, we are continuing to pay our taxes. And um, it's a question of what we're getting for those taxes. They have, as I've said for months now, it's a question of who takes the pain. And this particular arena, they are handing the pain to us as taxpayers. Yeah, and it, it, while Rodney, it may not, may not surprise you that uh, teachers, um, uh, the union specifically, do not want to teach in the fall <laughs> in any form. Uh, and so teachers have a lot of time on their hands. And, and I noticed uh, on some of the police blotters from Portland, a number, a, a, a decent proportion of people arrested are in fact school teachers. Uh, we see in the, in the anarchy, <laughs> anarchy protests, rioting. Um, so, so look, why do I got to teach a kid when I need to be out? here uh, trying to burn this federal courthouse uh please you know keep your priorities here what do you think of that um and then the negotiations potentially with uh, the state of oregon and uh and federal officers maybe coming up with some kind of a deal to get uh, federal officers maybe out of there and to let the state and city handle uh this ongoing siege of the federal courthouse in portland rodney i don't i don't have you know, a view on people who are going to the protest and participating. They, they get to choose what they want to do. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll, I'll stick with just saying, hey, if teachers aren't working, we're still paying. This doesn't seem equitable. Let's, let's uh, leave well, that maybe one there. Well, pay their bail, you know, the, <laughs> support them because they are, they are the front line for... Well, wait a second. There is no bail anymore, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I just let them go. Yeah. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of negotiating with the feds, I, I'm all about this. As I've written, I... I I have no idea why uh, Oregon um, Governor Kate Brown stepped into this. She was great on the sidelines, just kicking the hornet's nest and saying what bad actors people were. Yeah. Now she stepped in and said, well, the feds got to go and I'm going to put Oregon State Police in charge of the security of the property. And it's like, wow, you are really putting a lot of faith in these people being the, the protesters that apparently these protests are fairly peaceful until 11 o'clock. I, right. I, apparently there's, you know, some bell that rings at 11 o'clock and everybody says, all right, let's break out all the fireworks <laughs> and everything else. And so um, I don't want to, I don't want to lump all that together. I right. mean, a lot of people are out there protesting what they believe in and I'm saying, go for it. Right. Uh, but people that turn from that into arsonists and, you know, vandals, no, I don't have anything for that. Um, and so now what's going to happen is I, I say, great, Tell them that they are responsible for the physical property and ding them financially for any damage that's done. If the property gets burned or, you know, windows get broken or whatever while the Oregon State Police are on watch, well, just tell Oregon you'll take the money out of their highway funds next year, right? Because they did not do their job. And uh, this is going to put Kate Brown 
in the position of being responsible for what happens. I assume she's believing that once it's state Oregon, Oregon state police on scene, that the rioters will not turn into vandals at 11 o'clock. And I think, um, I think that's a lot of faith in particular people. Certainly. Rodney, I want to mention uh, one thing really quick here, a story you wrote on Informed American. Rutgers University declares grammar racist. We'll de-emphasize. Uh, as someone who is a bad typer, I, I, I feel that oppression. I feel that systemic oppression on top of me, and I'm glad I'm getting a little bit of relief. I mean, I'm not a Rutgers student, but I'm, I'm glad to see this is finally being recognized. Uh, Rodney, your thoughts? Oh, the, the Rutgers thing is just disappointing. Uh, to me, it's a, a, a further watering down of improving capabilities, right? The ability to um, think through something with reason, with logic, form your ideas, and then express those ideas persuasively and concisely. That, that's what's supposed to happen. And that is part of the English language. That's part of any language. That's not just the English language. And so when you say, look, I'm no longer going to require that of students, what you're saying is I'm no longer going to help them hone those skills. And yeah. so you may feel good about yourself in some social setting during four years of undergrad, but you are now telling these people when they go out in the world, that's okay. And yeah. that's not okay. And so what business is going to say, oh, you can't write very well, you can't express yourself very well, and you don't use proper grammar in written communication? Yes, I want you on the front line of my company. You should be the person who's communicating with clients. I think this is a really bad idea. Yeah, otherwise you end up like me. Don't end up like me. Uh, last don't end up like Dave. Hey, you could be our example, right? <laughs> Last thing I want to hit, Rodney, before we get out of here. Now, President Trump wrote a, a bit of a, a bizarre tweet that uh, inflamed a, a lot of uh, anger on, on Twitter yesterday when he's yeah. talking about referring to mail-in ballots. This one might be a bit – I don't want to dive too deep into this one, but he basically said uh, mail-in ballots are ripe for fraud. Uh, I, I support absentee balloting. I'm just paraphrasing here, but he essentially said, well, if um, – if it's, things are unsecured, does it mean we need to delay the election uh, th with three question marks afterwards uh, leading to hysteria in the media? I speculated that might, this might have just been distraction off the bad GDP number. Uh, but interestingly, interesting, Rodney, that same, later in that same day in the Washington Post, uh, there's a headline here, Postal Service Backlog Sparks Worries That Ballot Delivery Could Be Delayed in November. Uh, and then Trump later tweeted, I believe this morning, that uh, all ballots must be counted on election night. Could we be seeing some protracted long ballot counting fight going on here with the push to mail-in uh, mail voting? Um, was that what Trump was talking about? That we, there's could that not only is it right for fraud, we might not even be able to actually get everything counted on on uh, election night. Well, if you ask me what Trump was talking about, <laughs> I think what he was talking about was putting his thumb in the eyes of his detractors. Okay, um, I don't think he was serious about um, delaying the election. No, I don't think so either. Because I, the legalities of it aren't there, right? Congress can actually delay an election. That that's you know. That, that's kind of the, the way this goes. But a term, a presidential term per, I think, the 20th Amendment ends on January 20th. Yeah. So, I mean, if he delayed the, if, if he con, con, was able to persuade Congress to delay the election in some way, shape, or form, and then we didn't have a clear presidential election winner by January 20th, he would still no longer be president on January 21st. It just wouldn't happen. President and so Pelosi. then you go down the line of, of who's yeah. it going to be, and that's where you get into a fight. Senator Grassley as the pro tem leader of the Senate is probably the likely one, but that doesn't matter. None of this is going to happen. I just think he did it to make people's heads explode, and it worked beautifully. 
Um, in well, Trump declare of, himself Caesar for life or? Well, <laughs> Caesar salad or what are we talking about here? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think that's going to happen. But mail-in ballots, they, they have the same issue that many other things do, which is um, they're trying to get many, many things through a very narrow door. And our narrow door is the postal service. And so I, I do see an issue with just the expediency of that. Not, not to mention what the issue would be around fraud. I'm not even going there. You don't have to. Because then the question is, there's, a, there's something in law, it's the, uh, the mailbox rule, right? As long as something is, is postmarked, it's considered delivered within three days. Well, what's a good ballot? Is, is something postmarked on election day? Does Ugh. it have to arrive by election day? Well, the voter, can't, the voter can't control what the post office does. And so then it just gets all crazy as to the rules. They would be different in different states. And as you say, this would be protracted. This would have the feel of 2000 all over again when the Bush-Gore election went on for weeks afterwards with the Supreme Court, blah, 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 blah. Well, is that where we're heading? Bottom line, before we get out of here. No, we're not headed there. We're going to figure this out ahead of time. There will be some mail-in ballots. A lot of people will still go to the polls. And uh, I think it'll be done shortly after the election, if not on election night. I hope so, uh, just to get this thing uh, settled and over with and not some long, long battle with lawsuits and all that yeah. nonsense. We need a, a clear winner on election night, 100%. Well, Ronnie, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you all for watching. I want you all to become informed Americans by subscribing to this channel and, of course, heading over to informedamerican.com. And, Rodney, when they do so, uh, what kind of stories can they, uh, can they expect to find on the site or if they sign up with their email uh, to get uh, real smart news in their inbox every single day? Well, I think next week it's going to be about the protests in Oregon and what happens if the feds are pulling out and then what happens to the Hatfield uh, Courthouse building there in Portland is going to be very important. And of course, next week we get uh, unemployment numbers right before we get on um, on this video together. And so that's going to be interesting to see and whether or not we get a deal on the extended federal unemployment bonus checks. That's going to be important as well. Absolutely. And by the way, Rodney, uh, I'm working through some technical issues, but uh, next Friday, if you are game, uh, we may uh, be going live uh, with this show to our Facebook group. What do you think about that? Are you excited? No, I'm scared. excited, Dave. I can do that. We always do this in one take anyway. It's not like we, you know, often have recuts or anything. So, yeah. That's Let's what I'm do saying. It. We're just rolling along with this thing. So That's right. Let's do it. All right. Great. Uh, so, we will, uh, we will uh, Rodney and I will see all of you next Friday. For Rodney Johnson, I'm Dave Oakenquist telling you to get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed, America. Brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real, smart news. Until next time, fight fake news and find common ground.